James is on his way out and he has these concerns, uh, things that we probably already know, but that we need to hear again as Christians before James leaves us. And he leaves us with really just sort of a practical list of things that we need to do, uh, things that Christians should be concerned about. James is kind of like a mentor. He's, he's teaching us how to live as a real Christian. And he leaves us with these set of simple but important instructions, really essential instructions as a Christian. And James, throughout this book, has been a book that's super practical. How to live as a, a real Christian, somebody who, not, who doesn't just profess faith, but who has faith that's real, faith that works itself out in their life. James shows us how to not only be somebody who hears God's word, but somebody who does God's word. And here he shows us some simple instructions about how we should be living as Christians, sort of his final words here as he leaves. He gives us instructions about how to live as a Christian. So let's just look at some of these directions here. And if you're writing uh, notes, I, I think a big idea for us could be that God wants your life to be marked by truthfulness, filled with prayer, and devoted to helping others follow God. God wants your life to be marked by truthfulness, to be filled with prayer, and to be devoted to helping others follow God. Let's look at these verses together in James chapter 5, starting in verse 12. James writes this, But above all, my brethren, do not swear, either by heaven or by earth or with any other oath, but your yes is to be yes and your no, no, so that you may not fall under judgment. Is anyone among you suffering? Then he must pray. Is anyone cheerful? He is to sing praises. Is anyone among you sick? Then he must call for the elders of the church, and they are to pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will restore the one who is sick, and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, they will be forgiven him. Therefore, confess your sins to one another. And pray for one another so that you may be healed. The effective prayer of a righteous man can accomplish much. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours. And he prayed earnestly that it would not rain. And it did not rain on the earth for three years and six months. Then he prayed again and the sky poured rain and the earth produced its fruit. My brethren, if any among you strays from the truth and one turns him back, let him know that he who turns a sinner from the error of his way will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. Being a Christian is so much more than just being called a Christian. It's so much more than just uh, saying a prayer once and then forgetting about it. It's so much more than just checking off a box and then just saying, I'm a Christian, but going on as you always 
lived before. Once you become a Christian, everything should change. It says in 2 Corinthians 5 that if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old things have passed away. Jesus has become the Lord of your life. And when that happens, it should affect everything. You're no longer the same person that you once were. God saves you and he changes your desires. He changes what is important to you. He changes your relationship with him and with other people. And James is a book that, as we said, challenges us in these ways by giving us these practical instructions on on what it looks like to be a Christian who really lives like a Christian. There's a lot of people out there in this world that say they're a Christian, but there's not a lot of people that live as true Christians. James is a, a letter that's soaked, as one person says, with the writings of Jesus. It is filled with what it looks like to be somebody who really follows Jesus, who really lives for Jesus. It, it helps us see what does a real Christian look like? It helps us look at our own life. What does a real Christian look like? And James kind of gets in our face and says, are you a real Christian? And he gives us some simple and final instructions here, these important things that we need to know and, and how we need to live as, as Christians. And it's, and it's simple and it's, it's things you've heard before, I'm sure, if you've been around the church. But it's so good for us to look at this morning. In verse 12, we see first that God wants your life to be, number one, marked by truthfulness. A Christian's life is marked by truthfulness. Look at verse 12. But above all, my brethren, do not swear either by heaven or by earth or with any other oath, but your yes is to be yes and your no, no, so that you may not fall under judgment. In this whole section through the end of the letter, James focuses again on our words. These verses all kind of talk about what comes out of our mouth, out of uh, the mouth, the heart speaks. And here James says, our words matter. Here he says, above all, above all at the beginning of verse 12. Above all here is is meant to be something that should make us listen up, to, to hear. Pay close attention to this. It's important to James. Don't miss this. And he gives us this command that that needs to be emphasized. It was especially important to James that we know this in verse 12. And the command here is clear. Do not swear, either by heaven or by earth or any other oath. Swearing here is not talking about the use of of bad words. Um, Obviously, we know that that shouldn't be what we do as Christians. It says in Ephesians 4.29, let no unwholesome word come out of your mouth, but only what is helpful for building others up. So we know that uh, uh, cursing, bad language shouldn't be coming out of our mouth. But I think what James has in mind here is something a little different. He's talking about swearing by an oath, uh, making an oath by heaven or by earth or by some other name. And that's probably something I guess you didn't do this morning. 
Um, it's not really something uh, we probably do as much today. But uh, we know that in the time of the Bible and in the time that James was writing this, uh, people would swear by oaths. An oath is, is like inviting somebody in, uh, maybe heaven or earth or even God himself as a witness to what you're saying. And it's even inviting a curse on yourself if what you're saying isn't true. An oath is something that people would use to add force to their words, to make it really uh, backed up with weight. And we know even in the Old Testament, there were uh, people who swore by oaths. Uh, In the New Testament, Paul even swore by oaths. Jesus himself uh, swore by by an oath when he was before the high priest. So we know that uh, this isn't saying you can't ever swear by an oath. We, we today even make oaths um, in some certain occasions. Like uh, I think maybe like when you're testifying before um, a jury or when you're getting married even, saying vows. There's a, there's a right place to, sw- to have an oath. But in the time of James, it had become common for people to swear by oaths Uh, without even thinking, kind of doing it flippantly without being careful. And they were doing this knowing that they were lying. It's kind of confusing, but basically they were swearing to cover up a lie. And that was the temptation for Christians even, to, to lie, to swear. I think today we could think of this like uh, crossing our fingers behind our back. Maybe you've done that before and, and said something that you knew was a lie on purpose. But you say, well, it's okay because I had my fingers crossed behind my back. These people were kind of trying to get their way out so they could get away with lying. And that temptation was for Christians too. And the issue was that Christians were knowingly tempted to lie. They were tempted to be dishonest. And that even though we probably don't go around swearing oaths today, we know that that same temptation should exist for us even as Christians today to lie. It's actually really easy to lie. Sometimes we find ourselves doing it and we go, where did that even come from? It's so easy to cover up the truth. And James says, don't let that be you if you are a Christian. I think if you're a Christian, you could ask, are there areas in your life where you're lying? Where you know that you're covering up the truth? Where you're not sticking to your word? Not following through on a promise that you've made to somebody? James was convinced that Christians need to be the most trustworthy, the most honest kind of people there are. Their yes should be yes. And their no should be no. They shouldn't need to make an oath or add anything on to their words because they're known as people who are truthful, people who don't lie. As Christians, we must be people who, when we do lie, we repent, we confess it, we forsake it, and we seek to be people who tell the truth. Jesus himself is the way and the truth and the life. And that should mark us as Christians, people who are truthful, 
But notice also the warning at the end of verse 12. Reminded that for those who go on and they're lying, that there is judgment. I don't believe this judgment is for Christians. We know that uh, if we are Christians, judgment has been taken upon Christ on the cross. And that there will be no judgment for those who have believed in Jesus. I think this is a warning to to non-Christians, to people who, who aren't trusting in Christ for their salvation. A warning to, to know that God hears every word you say. God heard every word you said this morning. God heard every word you said in the last week. God knows it all. And if we're not in Christ, we will face judgment. It's a warning but also an encouragement to Christians to seek to be marked by truthfulness. Marked by truthfulness. God wants your life, number one, to be marked by truthfulness. And number two, he wants your life to be filled with prayer. Again, something we know so well, it's, it's so clear, this is what it is to be a Christian, to somebody who prays, to be somebody who has a life filled with prayer. But James gives us a reminder. Look at verse 13. He kind of gives us these questions here. Is anyone among you suffering? Then he must pray. Is anyone cheerful? He is to sing praises. Is anyone among you sick? Then he must call the elders of the church and they are to pray over him. James just kind of gives us these few short questions. Are you suffering? The answer is prayer. Are you cheerful? The answer is the same, communicating with God through praise, praising him in prayer. Then another question, are you sick? The answer, again, is prayer. To suffer in verse 13 speaks of the most difficult moments that we might experience in life. The lowest of the lows And then directly next to that is almost like night and day, the best moment that you could have in your entire life. And what should we do in either of those moments? Pray. Are you having the worst day of your life? Like you accidentally forgot to save that report that you just spent three hours typing up and it's gone. Uh, Maybe you ripped your pants twice. You're having the worst day or even worse, you're suffering in in some real way. Like you just heard the worst news about a family member or a friend. James says you should pray. What do you do in that, in that moment? Pray. Or maybe you're experiencing the greatest day of your life. A thing where a day where everything went so well and you just know like, I'm going to remember this day forever because it was such a good day. James says, you also should pray. I think he means really any moment in your life from the lowest to the highest moment of your life, you should be praying. There's never a moment when prayer doesn't fit for a Christian. In Luke 18, Jesus taught that men ought to at all times pray. 
And here James is saying the same, no matter how good or bad things are in your life, no matter what circumstance comes your way, it's always the right time to be praying, to come to God in prayer. Verses 14 and 15 then keep going about prayer, keep talking about uh, prayer for, in this case, the sick or the weak. I think this is uh, speaking of people who are spiritually sick and in special need of spiritual strength. People who are in need of, of spiritual healing. They're, they're hurting. This is a Christian who is an hour, in an hour of discouragement and difficulty and desperation, and they need somebody to come and pray with them and for them. And so James says, this person also has a way out, a way to pray. And he shows us that it's for them to call up the elders of the church to come and pray. God has designed a church to have elders and their ministry is pretty simple. It's to minister God's word and to pray. I'll never forget being with my dad, who is a pastor, um, and he got a phone call from a lady in our church. And that lady was having what I know would be the worst day of her life, the hardest day of her life. And the first thing that that lady needed in her life was her pastors to come and to pray with her and for her. In Acts 6, the very first leaders of the church were people who were devoted to ministering God's word and to prayer. That's what mattered for them. And that's how pastors lead the church. And here in James 5, it's a case where the elders of the church come and care for and pray for these believers who have a spiritual need. And they would come and they would uh, bring oil and they would pray together in faith for this Christian brother or sister. And as that answer to that prayer, it says that God brings spiritual healing, spiritual health and strength. And if there is sin in that person's life, God brings forgiveness. And then in verse 16, it kind of gets directed even to us, not just to those people who are sick, but to everyone in the church. We should all be people who are confessing our sins to one another and doing what? Praying for one another. Praying for one another. Prayer with and for one another is, is part of what it means to be a healthy Christian. Confessing our sins to one another and praying for one another is part of, of a healthy Christian life. We need one another and we need prayer. I think it's amazing just to step back and think about this, these verses here. Like how amazing that God is saying, pray to me, come talk to me. God has invited us to come and to pray to him. He has commanded us to pray to him. He wants you to come and to pray to him. And it's not just when we're feeling like everything's going great 
or that we have it all together, that we should come to God in prayer. No, God is saying, even when we're at the worst moment, we should come to him. Even when we're going through the most difficult days, even when we're guilty of sin, God says we should come to him in prayer. We must not ignore the access that we have to God. Uh, You probably, I I don't know if any of you have phones. Does anybody have a phone here? A lot of people have phones, right? Not everybody, but um, I think everybody has at least one person, maybe a couple people in their phone that they know they can call at any time. I think for me, it's, it's some of my family members, some people at church. I know I could call them whenever and they would pick up. God is like that. You can call him whenever, and he's there. And he wants you to call. He commands you to pray to him. It's an amazing privilege that we have through prayer. And even now, as a junior higher, you should be devoted to prayer. Don't think like prayer is something that older people do or that I'll do eventually as a Christian. Let your life now be marked and filled with prayer. Pray for those who don't know Jesus. Pray for those in your small group. Pray for the pastors in our church. Pray. Pray that God would use you even now for his glory. An amazing privilege we have to come to God. James then gives us an example showing us that that prayer is effective, it's powerful, that it can accomplish things, that God answers prayer. And he wanted his readers to know of Elijah, who, if you remember the story of Elijah in in the book of 1 Kings, was uh, really an amazing prophet. But what James shows is that he really was a man like us. He was just like us. And God heard his prayers and answered them. And he answered them over years and years in powerful and in amazing ways. James wanted his readers to know this power that they have available to them in prayer. And he wanted these Christians to know that they should be about this, praying. Don't neglect prayer because it's powerful and it can accomplish much. A third instruction from James, God also wants your life to be, third, devoted to helping others follow him. In these last few verses here, devoted to helping others follow him. James leaves us with a final word. And it's kind of different from a lot of other books of the New Testament where there's kind of a closing to the letter. Um, But no, he kind of just drops off with these final uh, words in verse 18. He says, My brethren, if any among you strays from the truth and one turns him back, let him know that he who turns a sinner from the error of his way will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. Throughout these these 
few chapters of this letter, James has helped us see how true and real Christians live. And he's given us these tests by, uh, by how we can know what a true Christian looks like. But here is, is a final uh, uh, example of, of how a Christian lives, what a Christian does, and really a direction for Christians, that they are devoted to helping other people be real Christians. They're not just focused on themselves, but they care about others and they want others to know about Jesus. Verse 18 says that if there are any among the Christians, any among the brothers in this church who strays from the truth, this word for stray could make us think of like maybe that younger brother or sister that you have, maybe that cousin that uh, they're always like kind of wandering off and maybe you're at a family event and, and there's that sibling and, or that cousin and they're just all of a sudden gone. And what, is, what does their mom do? Where is she? Where'd she go? And they freak out. And then you, you look off and, and you see that, that cousin inching closer and closer to that busy street, wandering, straying away. Here's somebody who, who's like that among the Christians, who's wandering away into danger, wandering off from the truth, James says. Somebody who's, who's gone into danger and who's gone into error. James also describes that kind of person simply as a sinner. To be a sinner is to be somebody who's captivated and who's captured by error by what's not true. You're deceived by sin. And this person even says, it says at the end of verse 20, is in a multitude of sins. Their sins are drowning them. And they are straying away from what is true and what is right. But here in this situation, James says, there is another, a person who, who comes along, a Christian, who comes and turns him back. Almost like that mother coming up and snatching up her daughter to safety. That's what a Christian does. In the Great Commission, we're people who point people to Jesus and teach them to follow Jesus, to be an evangelist to show others about Christ and to turn them away from sin to Jesus. You might say, well, like, how do I do that? What does that look like for me? I think it can be pretty simple. It's, it's being somebody who's witnessed what Jesus has done in your life. And you share that with them. You say, I've seen how Jesus has worked in my life. I've seen how Jesus has forgiven me from my sins. And I want you to know about Jesus too. I want you to know about the truth. I want you to be saved from a multitude of sins and even death. That's what a Christian does. I think we could just be praying that we're doing that in our own life as Christians, showing others to Jesus and saving souls from death. 
And let me add, you may be here and you know you're not a Christian. You know you're that person who is straying from the truth, who's listened to error, and who's drowning in your multitude of sins. I think this is clear for you too. There is truth. There is a way to be saved from those sins. And it's through Jesus Christ. It's through knowing him and finding in him the forgiveness of your sins. If that's you, you need to come to Jesus and to receive his word and let it take root in your life and follow Jesus. James gives three really simple commands as he's on his way out, as he's leaving us. And he closes with these essential to-dos for a Christian. What do you do as a Christian? You're marked by truth. Your life is filled with prayer. And you're devoted to helping others see who Jesus is. And as James leaves us, I hope that these words don't leave you. I hope that they stick with you. And as James says, um, that you wouldn't forget God's word, that you wouldn't just be a hearer of God's word, but that you would be a doer, a doer. To do anything less is to be foolish. It's to be deluded. It's to be crazy, to hear God's word and not to do it. Our prayer is that you would be students who follow Jesus and who live as real Christians, who live in joy, and who live knowing God's word and doing God's word. Let's pray together. Oh Lord, thank you for uh, your word, which is uh, amazing. It shows us how you want us to live. It teaches us about who you are and who we are. Lord, I pray that we would be true Christians and that you would uh, help us to obey you and to grow in these areas of our life, to be more and more marked by truth and to pursue prayer and that we would show others to Jesus too because of what Jesus has done in our lives. Thank you, Lord, for your goodness to us in sending us your son, Christ. In his name we pray, amen.